Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Well, we're so grateful uh, to have uh, Pastor Dan Hodson from South Bay Community Church um, come and speak with us today. He's the pastor of Life Groups and Local Missions, and so we're just so appreciative, and he has a great message for us today um, about outreach, and so uh, that leads into our scripture reading for today in Matthew, so let me read that. If you're able, could you stand as we read the scripture? Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Bring one of those classic missional texts with us to set us in that direction this morning. It's a scripture that reminds us we, church, are made to move. We're made to move. That's the main idea for today. And to get us uh, working through that to get us started, I want to share one of my fears with you. I don't love sharing my fears, but I want to be transparent and, and admit that I'm actually really scared of sharks. Anybody else? I'm ter- <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I'm with you. I'm pretty scared of sharks, uh, but I find them fascinating and beautiful animals, you know? I have a great respect for their power. I've always enjoyed learning about them, and I'm partly reminded of, of sharks this weekend because just a couple months ago, you know, what is it, mid-August, uh, we see Shark Week come on and all those cool shows about, uh, about sharks are on TV, and, um, and that made me rediscover that there's this really interesting feature in certain types of sharks, uh, in great whites, in makos, in whale sharks, uh, that, it's, that, that, that idea is that they rely on what's called obligate ram ventilation. You ever heard that phrase? It was new to me, uh, but you've probably seen this before. It means that these sharks swim with their mouths open. They have to swim with their mouths open. Um, in order to push a ram, you know, water, with, which carries oxygen, across their gills. And if they stop swimming, then they stop receiving oxygen, right? And so they would suffocate. They can, you know, they can definitely pause and slow down for a little minute or two, just like you or I can hold our breath underwater for a bit, uh, but, but not for very long. You know, they can't really sit still. Um, for more than a few minutes. And these sharks have to be all gas, no brakes. They have to keep swimming. It's, it's move or die for these creatures. And that might seem like a limitation, like there's something wrong with them. But actually, the sharks that work this way are some of the strongest and fastest, most efficient animals of their type. Isn't that cool? And I believe, church, that God designed us to be that way too. I believe he made us to keep moving. We have to keep going. I believe he designed us to open our hearts wide as we follow Jesus and take in all of his goodness and grace as we join in his mission. Uh, To breathe deeply of the Holy Spirit and to be filled and empowered by him as he carries us along, keeping us going as we pursue his plan to seek and to reconcile the lost to him. We, church, are made to move. 
If you've ever studied ecclesiology or the, the, the theology of the church, you know that the church is designed to focus its efforts, its passions, its time, energy, resources, all of that in three directions. Uh, inward, uh, upward, and outward. And we are meant to gather and assemble and to edify and encourage and fellowship and care for one another like family. That's the, the inward focus of the church, right? Uh, secondly, we exist to worship the Lord together like we just did, to mature and to grow up into the likeness of Jesus. That's our upward focus as a church. And we're also made to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't yet know him. That's our outward focus, inward, outward, and upward. And the church is not only made to worship, the church is not only made to meet, it's also made to move. And today, as we talk, I hope that we can uh, see why that's true and what we can do about it. I hope that we leave today uh, from this convinced and convicted that we absolutely are made to move. And I hope that we are practically equipped and resourced for how we can live more missionally. That's the goal today. And so to start answering the first part, that why question, why are we made to move? I want to take us through really the whole Bible. and We'll look at a number of passages uh, that will teach us about that. So first, let's look in the Old Testament to see if this missional movement is a new thing or, or maybe has it been there all along, you know? I bet you already know, we won't talk deeply about all these passages, but I bet you already know about the Abrahamic promise, about God promising to bless all the nations through Abraham and his family, right? You've heard that. Genesis 12, 15, 22. I bet you already know about Joseph, who was taken down to Egypt and then rose to prominence to actually be a blessing to all of this foreign nation. That's kind of a missional text too, isn't it? Not only was he a blessing to Egypt, but he was a blessing to his own family who desperately needed food and a famine. I'm positive you know about Jonah, one of the most famous popular stories in the Bible, where God maneuvered this prophet to reach out to a wicked nation and to invite repentance and actually to offer mercy, right? These are all pictures of God's movement in the Old Testament that I imagine you're already familiar with. So, Let's get a little deeper into a text that maybe we've heard the story before, but not looked at it as a missional text. It's 1 Kings 17, where Elijah the prophet has just predicted a drought to King Ahab, uh, the king of Israel. And quick backstory, Ahab, not a good guy. Uh, he has been worshiping the false Canaanite god, Baal, and he married a Sidonian Phoenician woman outside of the people of Israel. That always goes really well, right, in the Bible? Uh, he married a Phoenician woman outside of Israel who didn't respect their God. That's our God. But the scripture even mentions that under Ahab's rule, this, is, this detail will come back up, and I know this is hard to hear, but they built, uh, they built a city with child sacrifice literally in the foundations. It was absolutely wicked and evil and pulling away from God in every way. Now Baal was thought of to be this God of lightning and rain. A storm, which obviously makes crops and food grow, produce. And so because these four nations were worshiping that God, the rain, storm God, Baal, and even Yahweh's own people, God's people, were, were now worshiping this false God, the Lord is going to announce his superiority over this Baal God by restricting the rain that that false God was supposed to bring, right? That's what's happening in here. In this, in this story in 1 Kings 17. This means that food and water are going to be very limited for God's purposes. And God's prophet in that context is going to need to be fed and cared for, right? 
And so we'll put the scripture up on the screen in a second. But one day, God spoke to Elijah saying, Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he, you know, Elijah, arose and went to Zarephath. And when Elijah arrived, he asked for food and water, and the widow that he met there was just in the process of barely being able to scrap together some sticks to make a fire and bake her last loaf of bread before she and her son would die of starvation. But she knew, she understood that, God's, that Elijah's God had commanded all this, and so she she saw that she had an opportunity, actually, to trust the Lord and fully depend on that God for her life, that God was going to provide her last ingredients. So Elijah tells her that the God of Israel is going to give you enough flour and oil, fill those jars for as long as the drought continued. And she believed the Lord, and it all came true. And we see here God moving towards somebody outside of the nation of Israel to provide what this false god could not. There's movement in the Old Testament. So everything's great for this widow and for her son, and the Lord is taking care of them and of Elijah, but then one day her son becomes sick and dies, which is just an enormous heartbreaking tragedy, especially for a widow in this position. She needs that support. But God, through Elijah, raised this boy back to life, And this is amazing, but let this widow know that the God of Israel was greater than the God of her own people. Remember that comment about child sacrifice earlier? This is really big right here. Where this false God demands the death of children, our God is giving life to children. He's showing that to a foreign nation. Isn't that cool? He's doing this outside of Israel's borders. And that's why this is a missional movement text. He's moved beyond what most people would view as, you know, his territory. Everything is the Lord's. But in those times, you know, some might see, oh, that's just the Israel God, you know. And God is blasting through that to another people group. And he's spreading this good and powerful message to another nation that he can provide, that he can sustain, that he can truly bring life, and that he is sovereign and superior to their Baal, this false God, all in his mission to save those who are captive that false god. There's a certain food or ingredient that I think works this way. Some might call it a condiment, I'm not sure, uh, but it's butter. It's pretty special, and I think that it makes just about everything that it touches better, but butter is best when it's melted, when it's spread, right? Like who in their right mind, is just going to go to the fridge and grab the stick and, you know, chop off a big hard clump of it, you know, or who, who, when you put it on your toast, you're not putting a big heaping scoop that just sits right there all tight in the middle, right? That's, oh, maybe you do. That's kind of strange though, you know what I mean? If you're doing that, something's wrong with you. Uh, when, but when I was a kid, my grandmother, who I love, I respect so dearly, and, you know, she's, she's my favorite lady, And for some reason, when she would make me peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when I was, you know, five, six-year-old kid going over to her house, she would chuck pieces of just firm, cold butter into the sandwich. I I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't really, my my parents didn't do that. It was just a thing that I saw at my grandma's house. I still don't totally understand it, but uh, maybe she's trying to fat me up or something. But 
just like solid triangle pieces of butter right there in the mix with the, you know, the PBJ ingredients. And I, at the time, I just went with it. I appreciated it for what it was, and it's okay. Uh, it's still a nice memory, and we can, I can kind of smile about it today. Uh, but I don't understand what was going on with all that butter, because we generally want to experience butter as something that's spread and melted or incorporated, right? Like in a cookie dough or something, or, or you know, an ingredient that not, needs to not sit tightly, firmly in one centralized place, but melt and glaze that and finish that beautiful sizzling steak that you just pulled off the grill. You know what I'm saying? They're grilling today, I can tell, you know? Or flow into and fill all those crispy little pockets of like that warm English muffin that you pull out of the toaster. Some stuff is supposed to be spread, right? And God's mission, even in the Old Testament, was like that. To bless the whole world, to spread his name and his glory, who he was and what he can do, like butter to the nations, and to offer mercy and to invite repentance across borders, not limiting it to one tight, centralized spot. That's the Father moving in the Old Testament. We also see Jesus continuing that missional movement in his ministry as well. You know the story in John 4, probably. John 4, Jesus is traveling north from Jerusalem up to Galilee, and on the way he stops for water in Samaria, where he encounters uh, the woman at the well. And he asks her for a drink. It doesn't seem like a big deal to us, just a, just a pit stop. Uh, but actually, back then, you know, she and her people, the Samaritans, were unfortunately viewed as... Uh, as half-breeds, impure Jews, because of their mixed ethnicity from the Assyrian invasion hundreds of years earlier. They were looked down upon by the Judeans, by Jews. Uh, and there was this social separation, a classism, you know, between them. And to be frank, it was racism. And Jesus gets that, and he steps into that very much on purpose, on mission. And in Jesus' conversation with her, uh, he uses the water as an illustration to preach the good news and the drink of eternal life that he alone came to offer. He speaks prophetically and deeply into her personal life, into her uncomfortable relational history. He tells her about salvation and the coming of the Holy Spirit and that he is the Messiah. And so she hears all this and she runs, she moves back into town to say to the people, chapter 429, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Perhaps this is the Christ? And so because of that, a bunch of Samaritans come out of town to, to then meet Jesus. They want to see him. And then they believe in him because of the woman's testimony. And so then Jesus stayed with them for a couple days, and then even more people believed because of his message. And they confessed in verse 42, we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. So this is such a cool missional text because we see Jesus moving to the marginalized, to the morally needy, to the outcast, to those who were disconnected and looked down upon. And he enters into that with dignity and with care, with tenderness to offer love and life and salvation, advancing God's mission. And, and did you catch the woman's reaction, by the way? She was so moved by her encounter with Jesus, the Messiah, the king, that she then shared that good news with her neighbors. And then her testimony to them was so moving that they got up out of their seats and went to go see Jesus and believe in him as well. I see this kind of like caffeine. Caffeine is 
not meant to be taken in and then slept on. You know, most people can't drink it right before bed and then just crash. If you're doing that, you know, there's something a little, a little bit off. You're desensitized or something. Caffeine is meant to energize us and get us moving. I had breakfast with a buddy uh, not too long ago, and we were both drinking coffee, and I noticed that I started talking really fast, and I was all kind of wound up, and he's sitting over here like twitching because of the caffeine, and it was working. That's what it's supposed to do, isn't it? Maybe not that well, but you know, caffeine makes you move, and I know you felt that maybe even this morning. And friends, brothers, sisters, discovering salvation in Jesus has to do the same thing. We can't drink that in and then do nothing. Sleep on it. If you trust in Jesus as the crucified, risen Savior and King, then you have been brought from death to life. That news, that message, that reality that you have received is so good and so sweet and so compelling, it has to make us go. Because if it was heart-melting enough and strong enough to save us, if it's instructive enough and convicting enough to sanctify us, then it is motivating enough to move us. We can't come to Jesus and truly understand all that he has done for it for us and believe how majestic and gracious and powerful and loving and sacrificial and beautiful and good he is and then keep that to ourselves. If we have taken in the gospel, then how can we not go and take that to the lost? If we have encountered the Messiah, we have to move. This is what Jesus the Messiah did himself. This is what the Samaritans did. We saw that in John 4. And so now we've seen the Father move. Now we have seen the Son move. Now what about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is really the one advancing God's mission through the church from the book of Acts up to this point in history right now, today, this morning, all around the, church, all around the world, making churches go. And we see the movement of the Spirit set up in Acts 1, where the risen Christ tells his disciples that the Spirit is going to come upon you and empower you to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth, laying out this missional trajectory that radiates outward from the place of Jesus' death and resurrection and soon return, his future rule, to the extents of the whole world. The Spirit is poured into that context, that purpose. And then in Acts 2, the Spirit fills his church and immediately starts growing it through preaching and through conviction and repentance and through baptism. Because the Spirit, the church spoke the Word of God with incredible boldness, and because of the Spirit, people were healed as powerful evidence to the message of Jesus. The Spirit multiplied disciples, and he preserved them through persecution. The Holy Spirit steered believers to evangelize, and Philip and the Ethiopian is a really cool example of this in Acts 8 where the Spirit tells Philip, one of Jesus's, one of the you know, early leaders of the church, tells Philip to go run up to this man, this royal treasurer of the Ethiopian court, probably a Gentile convert to Jerusalem, but, but somebody who wouldn't have been considered an insider, you know, not allowed to the inner courts of the Jewish temple. And he's traveling through the desert. Philip sees him and, and runs up to him and explains the gospel to this man. Uh, and this guy gets saved and he immediately wants to get baptized. And so they go find water and uh, he's baptized and they're celebrating in the joy of his salvation. And then immediately the Holy Spirit picks Philip up and carries him to another area, another region to continue preaching the gospel in all of those towns. It's just amazing how the Spirit steered his church to 
to advance the mission of God if Philip knew firsthand that the Spirit was moving. There's so much more we could say and study in the Bible about this, but I hope that that presents a convincing and convicting overview of uh, uh, that the whole Trinity has been moving all along, actually. We probably view mission as mostly a New Testament thing, but really, God has been moving all throughout history, hasn't he? To reconcile the sinful, lost, broken people like you and me to himself. And so, because the Father moved towards the nations, because Jesus moved towards the marginalized, because the Spirit moves the church now, we, friends, have to move in mission. It's really what we're made to do. Not only do we have this example, this pattern, this momentum created by the whole Trinity, but we have clear instruction, commissioning from the Lord to go and to move in his mission. We already heard today Matthew 28. That's probably a very familiar passage for a lot of us. To go and make disciples of all nations. It was read for us earlier. Thank you, Herb. We've already mentioned Acts 1 where we are instructed to be Jesus' witnesses um, to the ends of the earth. And so let's look to a different passage, a different missional text that I personally find really empowering, encouraging, and, and comforting. That's John 20. Might be a little off our mission radar, but John 20 is a really cool text. Let's look at it together, starting in verse 19. You're welcome to look in your Bibles or the screen or whatever you're comfortable with. But John 20, 19 says this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands, his side, and his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, this is interesting, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is a very intense moment. Jesus was just crucified, buried, and is dead as far as the disciples know. We know that Mary, who saw Jesus risen at the tomb, has just run back and, you know, from the garden to, to tell the disciples that he's alive, but these guys are still huddled together, hiding in this, this room behind a locked door, anxious and afraid and worried that the, what the authorities did to Jesus would happen to them as well. And Jesus just floats through the wall miraculously and appears, and he lets them in to his healed wounds. He gently speaks into their fears and doubts, and he, he breathes life into them like God breathing life into Adam at the beginning of creation. Promising the Spirit who would come at Pentecost. It's a beautiful moment. Jesus ministering to his disciples, and he sends them. And he sends us the same way. As the Father sent him, which means intimately representing him, showing his grace and carrying out his mission and communicating his truth. And as Jesus commissions them, he tells them something about forgiveness, which is a little bit of a tricky passage, isn't it? On the surface, it feels like Jesus is telling his disciples to, to go around and uh, forgive or condemn people in 
a selective way, like a, like a duck, duck, goose kind of thing, you know? Some people you forgive, some people you don't. But that can't quite be it, can it? You know, we know that the only one who can forgive sin against God is God himself. He's the one who uh, dealt with it. He alone has the authority to do that, so it has to mean something else. And so the way we should understand this passage is that it is our job to proclaim the forgiveness that God offers all people through the work of Jesus on the cross where he graciously died to pay the price for our sin that we deserve and that he rose to defeat the power of death the way that sin condemns us and enslaves us. That's the message that we are told to go with, to be sent with. We are made to move with that message of forgiveness, right? And so I, I hope that we have seen that God has been moving all throughout Scripture, all throughout redemptive history, and I hope that we have a sense of conviction about that. I hope that we're convinced and convicted about why we're made to move, because we have the, this template of the whole trinity. Not only that, but we also have the commission of Christ. We have both a model and a mandate to move in God's mission. You see that? But how practically do we get going, you know? I've always personally found that like starting an essay, writing a speech, or even like, you know, Wednesday afternoon, you have a tough email you have to write. It, it can be hard to get started. How do I word this where do, I, where do I go? What's my starting point? And so if you're like me, it, it might be helpful to, to see some practical steps to kind of get us warmed up, get some momentum going, help us to get rolling forward so that we can actually get on board with God's mission. And so I want to invite us to play with a few ideas. I think I've got about seven today um, that should help with that, help us to get started. Please do not feel pressured to, to write all of this down or memorize it or anything like that. Just let the Lord speak to you through this and maybe point out one or two practical ideas that speaks to where you're at and can get you going. It can kind of serve as the, the key to getting started in God's mission. So here's some opportunities that we, uh, that we have to begin moving missionally. The first one is simply taking a look at where we spend our time. Let's take an inventory of those places that God has put us where you shop and eat regularly, you know, where, where our family, our school is, our work, gym, sports, wherever we're present and can have relationships. Those are spheres of influence that I absolutely guarantee the Lord has positioned us in to move missionally. Now, I don't know, but I, I wonder if sometimes we, I'm, I'm not saying this necessarily about you guys, I think just Christians in general can tend to do this, where we shut it off in some of those spaces. And we kind of maybe suppress our faith or, or turn off our, you know, relational warmth. Like, I don't really want to be known in this setting. I don't want to connect with people, really. And so we shut it off, kind of disconnected. Those are actually places where we can let the Lord flip the switch back on and, and start moving missionally. Those are places of opportunity. And so if we're not currently engaged with our neighborhood, uh, go outside more. Take more walks. Uh, pray around your block. Water your lawn out front by hand, you know, so that you can kind of see people walking by and at least say hi and kind of warm up uh, to some relationships around you. Uh, if you're grilling this afternoon, uh, take, move your barbecue out front, you know, let, let the neighborhood smell that and kind of interact with it a little bit. Invite them over for some steak or whatever it is, you know. Talk to people as they pass by. Engage with your neighborhood. That's one place we spend our time where we can 
you know, pursue some missional opportunities. Secondly, if we're not investing in people at work, let's pay attention to where and how other people are connecting with each other, whether it's the, the, the water cooler or the lunch table or if it's the coffee shop downstairs in our office, whatever it is. Even if it means sacrificing a bit of our work time or personal time, it's worth it to pursue the missional opportunities in that sphere. Third, you know, it's likely that we have family members who don't know Jesus. I know that I do. My grandmother, who I mentioned earlier, we pray really hard for her every single day. Shared the gospel with her multiple times. And so let's have deep, rich conversations with family members like that about really important things. Big, big topics and issues. Substantive, substantial things that might allow us to bridge into faith and Jesus and the gospel. Let's talk to family members. And friends, you can do this if you're the most extroverted, bubbly, outgoing, outdoorsy, adventuresome you know, person in the room. But you can also do this if you don't feel that way. Even if you're sick and stuck in a hospital bed, you can minister to nurses. You can talk with doctors. You can open up conversations with other patients around you and, and pray for them and with them. The Lord has put those people next to you and around you for a reason. And I, I was so encouraged to hear that, you know, unfortunately, one of our, our prayer ministry leaders at South Bay Community Church a few, um, uh, a few months ago had like a lung infection and had to go spend some time in the hospital. Went through a few rounds of going to the hospital for that. And, um, and he understood, man, this is, God's not going to waste this moment of suffering. He's used this to, to position me to, to relate to the nurses and the doctors and the, and the people who are struggling and suffering around me too. And so he was just absolutely on ministering to everybody there. And I, I thought that was so cool. Even in a moment where any of us would feel sidelined, you know, he saw that as a missional opportunity. So even if you're bedridden, even if you're quarantined with COVID and all you're able to do is, is get online and, and chat, you know, type things in, there's actually a lot of cool ministry that can happen in that space as well. Even if you feel stuck, God can help you move. And so whatever your situation, I want to encourage us to think about where we spend our time and how the Lord might want to move us missionally in those places. That's the first idea to get us started, to get us moving missionally. Second way to get started is to pray for missional moments. If you want to see prayer answered, this is the prayer to pray, I guarantee. And so when we ask in faithfulness and obedience for what's in alignment with God's will, which is that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, we know that God hears and answers those prayers. And so pray for the unbelievers in your life. Pray that the Lord would, would lead you into conversation in those spaces where you spend your time. You know, we, we pray for our neighbors every day, just right up the street actually. And if, a few Fridays ago, I got a text from one of them asking if I could uh, come help you know, move something, move a piece of furniture. And this neighbor really sadly was, was widowed um, just before COVID. Um, and so now she's navigating this whole new season of life where she has to figure out home repairs. She has to live with a roommate instead of a husband, where she's, she's figuring out new relationships romantically and all of that. And, and there's a lot going on, and she's struggling through it. And that afternoon was amazing when I went over to help her move some stuff because it turned into actually an hour of finding tools and assembling some things. And then a, that turned into a really transparent, teary-eyed conversation. Uh, about some wounds that she has and, and, and difficulties with family members. And she even shared this letter with me from her son that she really treasured. And she shared with me that her, her cat has cancer, and so she's just opening up because the Lord pushed me to be accessible to her in this moment, to talk about deeper things. And, and I just so look forward to where God is going to take that and where that's going to go. 
And so, brothers and sisters, that's answered prayer. Amen? That's what we ask for. That's what God gives. And I want to just encourage you to take those opportunities as well. Ask the Lord, where do you want to use me, God? Where do you want me to move missionally? How can I be available for you? So I encourage you to pray for those things. That's the second one. Third, third way we can start moving missionally is learning how to share the gospel. Maybe you've never done this before. I want to throw out, I think, three ways here. that we got three ways that we can share the gospel. There are so many ways we can communicate the good news of Jesus, but these are three ideas that you know, could potentially be helpful for us. The first is Romans Road, uh, and it's really simply laying out the gospel with verses from the book of Romans. Some of you may have heard of this before, but maybe new to some of you. And, um, and hey, by the way, if, if you're sitting in here today or if you're watching and you have never truly believed in this before, we are so glad that you're here and that you have an opportunity to, uh, to, to let the Lord open your heart to the good news of Jesus Christ, to what he's done for you. And so I, I, I would encourage you, if that's you, if this is a new thing to you, what you're about to hear, that just invite the Lord to, to allow you to hear this and, and to trust it. And if this does sound like good news to you, after the service, uh, connect with any staff, anybody sitting near you, uh, I'm happy to chat with you, and just let us know uh, where you're at with all of that. We'd love to help you process that and take the next step. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ from the book of Romans. In Romans 3.23, it says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? It's the good news of Jesus. That's one way we can share it, communicate it with people who don't yet know the Lord. The second way we can share the gospel is by praying it, actually. Uh, praying over people when you're invited to do so at, at holiday meals. You've probably been in these positions before. Uh, certain ceremonies or memorials or, or birthdays. People know you're the Christian, and so like we're, Christians are supposed to pray, right? So you want to pray, you want to bless the food, you know? That's a really cool opportunity. One guy in our congregation down the street um, was retiring from the Air Force over this summer. And he knows that he's working with a lot of unbelievers, and he really wanted to make a statement with his faith. And so he invited us uh, pastors to be there with him and to, to pray uh, the gospel and be really clear about what he believes uh, in his retirement ceremony. It was really cool. We're really proud of that. He saw an opportunity, and he took advantage of it to communicate the gospel to like 40 colleagues and, and you know, lots of unbelievers in the room. And prayers like that can sound something like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sin and to offer us new life. We thank you for your grace toward us, and I ask that you would open our hearts to the love and mercy that you've shown us. Thank you for the food, amen, <laughs> you know. But we can communicate the gospel in those contexts. It's a great opportunity. Third, napkin illustrations. If you're having coffee with a friend, you're, you're at a cafe, a restaurant, and just casually chatting, you got a napkin and a pen nearby. Those can be fun, helpful ways to illustrate the truth of the gospel. I'm sure many of you have seen, I'm not drawing them out today, I'm not that good of an artist, but I'm sure many of you have seen the two cliffs illustration with a valley in between. And here we are. Here is God over here. And there's something separating us. That's our sin. And what is it that bridges us back together? Only the cross of Jesus Christ. You can kind of tell the gospel story on a napkin that way. Another way that I, I like to you know, communicate the gospel 
uh, instead of this way, go, go this way with your napkin, tall way, and you kind of build this vertical scale. Maybe you've heard of this before. And you say, God is perfect up here, assuming we believe God exists. You know, God is perfect. He's at the top and unlike anybody else. And where would you map out the best person you can think of in history? People might say, oh, that, that's Mother Teresa or something, or a Billy Graham type person. And, and they put him right here, you know, really close to God. Okay, who's the worst person you can think of in history? Uh, maybe a Hitler type person, and it'd be way down here. Where would you put yourself? I don't know, somewhere in between, right? That's interesting. Like, look at all those, all those people. There's gaps between everybody. What is it that restores our relationship with God and gets us back to him? It's Jesus, who is God, and who came down to save us from our sins so that we could be reunited, reconciled with the Lord. That's a cool way to draw the gospel as well, communicate Jesus. That's the third way we can take some missional opportunity and start moving forth. We can start asking good questions that lead to faith conversations. Asking good questions. Questions on their own don't always preach or communicate the full, clear gospel message, but they certainly can't open doors and pathways to it, can't they? Uh, They show, importantly, they show that you are interested and you genuinely care for that person across from you, rather than just treating them as a project or somebody that you want to just blast and fire hose information with, like, I love you and care about you and I want to know your heart and I want to hear your story. You know, it builds credibility and relationship. <clears throat> and so some questions that I think can, can work and that I've enjoyed would be, what's your faith background? I've asked people of multiple religions that question. Nobody ever has ever bristled at that. What's your faith background? Opens up a conversation about beliefs. Second, how, how can I pray for you? 95% of people are not going to flinch at that. But yeah, I'd, I'd be happy if you prayed for me, you know? Third, getting a little deeper, talking maybe politics or something or just horrible things that are going on in the world, you can ask, why is the world this way? Why does it seem like everything's so broken? And why do people do terrible things? I've tried that. had a really deep, rich conversation with someone, my grandmother actually. What happens after we die? Are you ready? Or straight up, when the time is right, what do you believe about Jesus? Some of you probably know uh, Pastor Greg Ma, who uh, I work with at South Bay Community Church. And over COVID, um, he and I put together this video series called Equipping for Evangelism. And it's a resource that anybody can access. So if you think that'd be helpful to you, please uh, hop onto our YouTube channel at South Bay Community Church. And you can look for Equipping for Evangelism. And we open this topic up a little bit more where we go through a lot of questions that you can ask to, to build relationships and, and point towards faith conversations. And so I want to share that with you if you feel that would be an appropriate thing to explore. Um, we also talk about how to share your faith, how to articulate the gospel, how to be a missional neighbor. Um, and it was a ton of fun to make, and I, and I hope it's helpful to you guys. I've even got a discussion guide for that if you want to go through it with your life groups or small groups or anything. So welcome to, uh, welcome to access all of that. Let me know if I can help you with that. And one of the things that we expand on in that video series um, is point five here, the fifth idea, which is being ready to share your own faith story. Uh, If you've never shared your testimony or your your salvation story, your faith journey before, we have found that a, a really fine way to do that is by thinking of it in three parts. Before Jesus, believing in Jesus, and then life because of Jesus. You heard that before? Before, believing, and because. So what was your life like before you met Christ? What did he save you from? What direction were you, were you headed? And how did he grab you? <clears throat> and then believing in Jesus, what was that moment like when the gospel really struck your heart 
and you embrace that truth that he died for us and he, for your sin and that he rose so that we could have new life with him. What was that moment like? And then finally, how has your life been made different because of Jesus? What change has occurred? You know, we have been brought out of, of our old dead selves and made into new creations, right? 2 Corinthians 5 says that. And so what is different now because of what Jesus has done in you? Where is he taking you in your walk with him? Before believing and because of Jesus. This is a nice way to share your own faith story. That's the fifth idea. Sixth idea. Let's get into spaces where non-Christians are. <clears throat> I mentioned to some of you before the, uh, before the service today, I was on the East Coast for a season in the Boston, <clears throat> excuse me, Boston area. And when I was there, my gym for a while was at a Christian college, simply because that's where my seminary had a discount, and it was like a mile from my apartment and all that. So that's what made sense. Uh, that's where I went. But when I graduated, I, I really wanted to go to a regular non-Christian gym, which is most gyms. And so I asked the Lord, uh, as I step into this place, Lord, would you please send me a few guys that you want me to connect with and share the gospel with? I really want to meet some unbelievers in this space. And he did. He totally did. You pray stuff like that, and he answers, right? And uh, it was really, really cool uh, because just a, a few weeks, within a few weeks of working out and, and getting to know, you know, one, one particular guy was a, a young military veteran who was, who was injured, and um, workout was part of his recovery. And so I'm getting to know this guy, and within a week or two of, of meeting him, his name's Steve, we're standing out in the parking lot after closing hours, and he's sharing how he just wrote a suicide letter. He's really struggling with deep depression and pain, how he's struggling with his family. Uh, he's going through a divorce, and he's just pouring out his life, you know. He even got into how Norse mythology is appealing to him, and that's how he thinks about the afterlife. And so we really, really opened up, you know. And so I got to share some pieces of the gospel with him in that context. So if too many, uh, what I'm encouraging us to do is if too many of our spaces are exclusively Christian, dare I say, even if we're at church too much, you know, we need to find spots where we can move into where there's missional opportunity, where people who don't know Jesus are hanging out, doing business, spending their time. That's the sixth idea. And lastly, I, I just want to share about some local and, and global ministry opportunities to consider, as well as some of the movement that we've, uh, that we've seen because of them. As, as a missions pastor, I have the privilege of, of hearing a lot of stories and communicating with missionaries and, and seeing how God's mission really activates and lights people up. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about this. And I, I know that Baja Bound is a huge priority and passion for you guys. And I just want to commend and, and actually thank you guys. You guys got us started in that ministry over at South Bay Community Church. We went on a trip with, with Wayne and Marguerite, and this was just last year. And we've been having a blast there. And, and love caring for the community of Meneadera, where some of your people are even this weekend, I know, um, and serving alongside of you guys. And, and we just want to affirm your, that your vision, your affection for certain people groups or types of uh, ministry and mission can really spill over onto other churches uh, and ignite them and get those guys moving. That happened to us. And so I, I want to thank you uh, for, for helping us with that, for influencing us and, and being really a catalyst missionally for, for our church. So keep being faithful in your mission efforts. Um, we also have a, just share a few ideas from South Bay uh, to maybe explore over here. Um, we have a group of people at our church who visit Baycrest Senior Care Center 
Uh, it's off of Hawthorne on Spencer, and there are a bunch of care facilities like this, I'm sure you're aware, but um, we spend some time with the elderly who really don't get a lot of support or presence from their family. And so there's a lot of loneliness there. You feel it the moment you walk in. And we, it's just an incredible opportunity to step in there and say, Jesus cares for you. We love you. We're here for you. And we want to be with you with the, the love and compassion of Christ. And they're just so happy to share stories and to sing and to pray and read scripture with you. We've sent them Bibles and care kits and things like that. And uh, it's been a really neat, just lovely missional space uh, for our church. And I want to encourage you guys to maybe consider that kind of thing as well if you're not already plugged into something like that. Another idea uh, that we have going on is, is a group called Chat Lab um, that's a pre-evangelistic ministry that builds relationships with international friends to show the love of Jesus, to learn about cultures, to have fun and go on field trips and, and explore uh, international cuisine together and to laugh a whole lot. And this is a really fun group that has hosted uh, people from over 10 countries who have moved into the area. This is the nations coming to us. And we're simply tapping into that, making friends and starting relationships uh, with people from Islamic and Hindu and Buddhist and atheistic backgrounds, and is a really cool missional platform. I'm totally not trying to, you know, toot the SBCC horn in any way. Uh, I'm just trying to share some ideas and, and point to how God has inspired us and led us over the past few years and um, invite, invite you to consider some of those things as well. And so a couple more missional opportunities to move would be in the area of refugee care, actually. When we were locked down by COVID, um, and we knew that there was going to be a wave of refugees coming from Afghanistan. The Lord just put it on our hearts, like, what if we could care for a few of those families that we know are going to be here, you know? They're already on military bases, actually, and have been shipped out of, of, of Afghanistan and had to flee for their lives. And so we connected with an organization called World Relief that has been a really wonderful resource for us. World Relief. Um, they have an office in, in Orange, your Garden Grove, excuse me. And uh, they connected us with refugees from Afghanistan, and so we took on a few families that we're, we're still walking with. It was just uh, interacting with, with them this past week. And our people have taught them how to drive and have delivered tons of meals and helped set up their new apartments. Um, they live just a mile away from us here, maybe two, um, on 182nd. And um, so we helped them host a baby shower, and all, all of those things, all those touch points have given us uh, a, an opportunity, a space to really reflect the generosity that Jesus showed us as Christians. He just gave everything to us so we can then give to, to those who don't yet know him. And these dear people, uh, we can let them know how much Jesus loves them and cares for them. And, and I, I want to share a quote with, uh, with you from one of our Afghan neighbors who said recently after, after one of our young couples in the church donated a car, they just gave like a good car away and said, we just, we care about you and want to let you get to your job. And so take our, our good car, you know. She was so moved, and she said this. Thank you and your team. She's still learning English. So thank you and your team for helping me because I only have you here, my God, Jesus. You helped me a lot, and I always have felt good when I came to church and realized that I'm not alone and God is with me. It's meals and cars and furniture and, and ESL type stuff that has communicated all of that, and she's starting to see it. Something's moving in her, you know? She's... She's making progress in, in understanding what God has done for her. And it's just beautiful. We really praise the Lord for that. And we want to keep pressing forward and communicating the gospel through word and through deed with those friends. And it could be a really fun ministry opportunity for you guys to get into as well if you want to consider that as a church.
We also learned that Japan has just opened back up, and we look forward to sending teams there. We really want to go to Ukraine when the time is right and help them to rebuild and pour the love of Jesus into that country when it's safe, help them recover. We all know that Florida is happening right now. They just got demolished by just a violent hurricane, and the EFCA crisis response, for example, is, is uh, evaluating and getting ready to send teams out there to recover, uh, to, to rehab that community um, as a discipleship and evangelism platform. So maybe we send a team to Florida and help rebuild and care for those, those people with the compassion of, of Jesus. And I know you guys, you know, support some missionaries, and you have international ministry partners. Uh, South India is one, and, and uh, I just want to encourage you to stay in touch with them keep praying for them because in that communication, you're going to hear some really cool um, opportunities that are going to come up um, in their sphere of influence. And we had something like that pop up for us uh, last year where we'll show a picture of this young man, but we have a contact in Southeast Asian country. It's a very anti-Christian country, so I won't mention it, but um, they knew a family with an 11-year-old boy named Chanapong. And this poor family was just really struggling to pay for his leukemia treatments and absolutely de- you know, dealing with absolutely crushing hospital bills because they had to you know, be with him at the hospital all the time so they can't work, and just, they were just under it, you know? And so they really needed uh, Christians to come around them and to be supportive. And so if believers, both locally and globally, had not uh, helped them, had not stepped in with support, we might not be looking at this picture on the right. You know what I mean? But because this family, Chanapong's family, they're, they're Christians, and they had the church around them and the Lord caring for them. We get to celebrate that this young man has made a full recovery. He's back on his feet. He's feeling great. The family's doing well. And they get to live this out as a testimony, just like in that First Kings 17 story. Our God cares for people. He brings life. God's people come around and support really well, you know, in a country that 99% does not believe in Jesus. They get to see that. Praise the Lord. That is so cool. I mean, just imagine how God is going to use this story in the years to come to announce what he can do to a, a very dark country that rejects him. We're, we're looking forward to that. And so opportunities like this we, we, can, we can look for uh, to support the mission of God all around the world and to, to move in all kinds of creative ways. And I just want to throw some of those out there to maybe inspire us to explore new avenues for how we can move missionally. There are so many ways that we can join the mission of God and move forward in reaching people who don't yet know Jesus. And hopefully, you know, many of us here today are fired up and ready to go try some of these things out in like, you know, 20 minutes from now after church. Um, but what about those of us who aren't? What if we're feeling a little uncomfortable about some of this stuff? Not ready to go. What if we're sitting here today kind of anxious? Maybe disconnected from this and like, ah, that's not for me, you know? just want to go home and lock the door like the disciples. Well, for those of us who are feeling that way, I want to explore one last angle, and that's the obstacles to these opportunities that we just talked about. You might feel like this, this mission stuff is not for me. That's for other people, you know? You're invited to go on a mission trip, but your stomach kind of knots up and you turn it down. I, I don't know, you know? Some hesitation there. And hey, no, you know, no shame, by the way. We are all here to grow together and to learn and uh, progress in these things. And, uh, and so it, it's all good. We're here to get there together and give grace in that process. But maybe you're feeling convicted by the Spirit to share your faith with that family member or that coworker we thought about earlier. Uh, but you kind of second-guess it and just stuff it, Mm-mm. you know? 
And so I want to ask, why do we do that? And what's going on there in those moments where we just clamp up? I think for a lot of us, there's this ambient anxiety, kind of a a shapeless fog that we can't quite see through, or like a monster in the closet. I don't even know what it looks like, you know? Some obstacle that we haven't defined. And so if we're in that position right now, our first step is putting it in the light and looking at it so that we can move forward. It's acknowledging, oh, that's, that's why I feel that way. That's where that's coming from. That's what that is. And so we need to give our fears and our worries some, some definition. We need to call them out of the closet so we can get a look. We need to talk about them and process them. What I'm saying is we need to name them to tame them. I really do think that's a helpful step because that limits them. What we thought was this big, overwhelming and terrifying, we, once we look at it and name it, we can realize, it's, oh, it's only that big. It's not so bad, you know? We can put it on the table, we can start chipping away at it. We can lift it up to God and invite him to help us with this thing. And so maybe that, that thing, that fog, is, is like a fear of rejection. I don't want to get into missions because people are going to say no. They're going to not like me. Or maybe we're just worried about looking dumb and lost in another country. I don't know the language. I don't understand the cultural customs. That's me. That's one of my fears, personally. I don't like looking stupid. Maybe that closet monster is like a cultural value or a social pressure to preserve communal harmony or not wanting to impose or Maybe it's being viewed as intolerant and judgmental or being associated with a distasteful subculture or offshoot of Christianity. I don't want any of that. I'm worried about that. Maybe that's the monster. That's the thing. Or maybe that ambient worry could just be about finance or time. Or maybe it's not knowing what to say when we're put on the spot. Maybe you just feel stressed and busy. Or maybe it's, I just feel too messed up and too broken unusable for God's mission. I'm too, I'm too wounded and damaged. When you name that concern, that's when we can start working on it. That's when we can start to learn the ways that Jesus dealt with rejection, right? If that's our fear, how did Jesus deal with rejection? And we can reinterpret that, those moments of rejection as an absolute honor to go through what Jesus went through. If culture Society is our fear. We can allow Scripture to critique our culture, shift our thinking, and change our hearts about the way things ought to be. If we're worried about not knowing how to interact with their language, you know, we can study speech and language and practice ways to share the gospel so that we, we do know what to say in their context. If we're worried about money or time, you know, we can invite our church family to partner with us and just be blown away by generosity. We can create time, actually, by you know, canceling that, that fourth or fifth streaming service and freeing up our schedule a little bit. Or we can totally bypass the time concern and just do our same things in another spot. Instead of checking emails in our office, go out to a public coffee shop type of place, be around unbelievers, you know? And if we feel like our own wounds, our own sense of brokenness and damagedness are the issue, that's the obstacle. I want to encourage us. Look at the hands and the feet of Jesus that he showed to his disciples as he sent them out in mission. 
Look at the healing power of the resurrection. We have that, brothers and sisters, in Christ. So let's name it to tame it. Our obstacles, our fears, our anxieties. If that's where you're at, please first hear Jesus speaking gently, tenderly into those concerns and hesitations, saying, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Second, I want to encourage us to do some reflecting, some thinking. Invite input and observation from your Christian circle, your small group, your brothers and sisters in Christ, to help you call out that obstacle this week. Let's put it on the table now. And third, let's let the Lord lead us in breaking it down and and moving it out of the way so that we can start moving in his mission. I don't don't know today if you needed to see that we follow the God who has always been moving to save people. Or maybe today you you needed to hear that peace of Jesus in your anxiety, your worries, or experience the power of the Spirit to get you working missionally. Or maybe you needed something practical, how to step into an opportunity, how to name an obstacle. Or maybe you just needed sharks and butter and caffeine to kind of serve as those reminders when you're baking this week. Throw an extra dozen in, take it to a neighbor, you know? Or think about sharks when you're surfing with your, your Buddhist buddy, you know? Or sharing coffee with your coworkers. Whatever it is, let's move on it so that we can be the church that God made us to be. Amen? Amen. Let me pray, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Help us to respond to what God's calling us to right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see that you are moving. Always have been. We understand that we are sent. And we invite your help into all of that, Lord. And we ask that you would lead us in it. And so, Lord, right now we want to give you our lives, our breath, our hands, our feet, our eyes. All that we have. And ask that you would just show us, Lord, please, where where do you want us to go? How do you want us to move? Who do you want us to connect with? Thank you, Lord, for inviting us into this mission. Thank you for making us to move, Lord. We lift all this up to you in prayer and in worship right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.